O Don Fatale from Verdi's Don Carlo, as sung by Delora Zajic with Charles Rosecrans conducting the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra in that recording from 2000. A very warm welcome from me, Adrian Fuchs, to Fine Music Radio, and to this, the first edition of Great Interpreters for 2014. I hope that you've all had a wonderful start of the year, and I'd like to take this opportunity to wish all of the Fine Music Radio and on and off the record listeners a blessed 2014 filled with many extraordinary musical highlights and experiences. Tonight, I have the pleasure of presenting to you a program on Dolora Zajic, widely regarded by her fans and by critics as the Verdi mezzo-soprano of our time. Those of you who know of Zajic and who have heard her sing will know that her voice is an extraordinary instrument of tremendous power and range. Marilyn Horn, herself one of the greatest mezzos of all time, famously referred to Zajic's voice as a force of nature, whilst Peter Gelb, general manager of the Metropolitan Opera, stated that Zajic has one of the greatest voices in the history of opera. Even the legendary Birgit Nielsen, in 1991, declared Zajic's voice the only one existing today without any competition in the world. But what is it, apart from its range and power, which makes Zajic's voice so special? And what of the artist and person behind the voice? I'd like to invite you to join me for the next two hours as we take a closer look at the voice, the life and artistry of the remarkable Dolora Zajic. If you enjoy tonight's program, I'd like to encourage you to visit my website on and off the record at www.onandofftherecord.com. There you can listen again or download for future listening this program in addition to many of my previous programs on singers and pianists. On my website you'll also find a schedule of upcoming programs that I will be presenting during the course of 2014, including an eight-part series on the greatest Broadway legends of all time. And if you have any queries, questions or comments, please do let me know via email at adrian at onandofftherecord.com or ping me on Twitter or Facebook. But for now, on with tonight's program. Here is Zajic singing Aquel Giorno Ognorramento from Rossini's Semiramide. Charles Rusecrans conducts the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra in this recording from 2000. Thank you. 
Zajix is truly a voice of remarkable size and range, from a sea below middle sea at the lower end to, reportedly, the Queen of the Night's high F. Her phenomenal range, Zajik ascribes to unusually long and thick vocal cords for a woman. Moreover, it is an instrument that has the same sound throughout its entire range, without any audible changing of gears as she passes from the lower range to the middle to the top. Zajik's timbre is powerfully seductive, full of rich colour, and she is blessed with an exciting edge to the voice that allows her to cut through an orchestra and ensemble and always be heard. A true Verdi dramatic mezzo, Zajik is capable of taking on parts such as Azucena, Amneris, Eboli and Ulrika, roles which have generally languished unfulfilled since the retirement of Giulietta Simeonato and the winding down of Fiorenza Cossotto's career. And few opera cognoscenti will quibble when Zajik's name is mentioned in the same breath as these great mezzos. But what do we mean when we classify Zajik as a dramatic voice? Here is an extract from an interview with Zajik conducted by Mark Skorka of Opera America. You were commenting on the fact that you and your siblings had loud voices. Yes. And we're talking about a dramatic voice. Now, dramatic and loud are not the same thing. So yes, what, they are. <laughs> what, what, how do you define a dramatic voice? Is it, is it volume? Is it color? It's, okay, a dramatic voice is one that can handle the orchestration, can sing over that those brass instruments, and sings the, the heavy-duty repertoire. Um, a Verdi singer doesn't necessarily mean a dramatic singer. You can sing, if you sing, um, you can sing, uh, there are roles that are almost like coloratura soprano roles. Um, was the, 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 the page or the, or the boy that sings in Balo. I mean, that's a, that, that is a made for a very small lyric voice. So you, so you can't really say a Verdi singer is a dramatic singer, uh, although a dramatic voice is required to sing the certain Verdi baritone roles and certain Verdi mezzo roles and certain tenor roles and some soprano roles. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, and there are some uh, Verdi soprano roles that can be handled by Mozart singers. Uh, um, the uh, uh, Eleanor Stieber mm -hmm. type of singer that can handle that kind of repertoire. But the volume level is not as is necessary for the soprano as it is for the baritone and the tenor mm -hmm. and the mezzo. Unless, unless it's a very, except for in some specific instances where Verdi really wrote, you know, like Lady Macbeth or something like that, where there's, they really have to have a, a voice that really puts out the sound. So it is more volume for you than color in defining a yes. dramatic voice. Yes, yes. And just technically, what gives the volume? What makes the volume? Do you sing harder than anyone else? Or no. is your no. body just built in a way that creates that volume? What, what, what yeah. creates it? Yeah, it's something you're born with. It's not something you can create. Mm -hmm. You're born with that body. And it has to do with a whole combination of things. Uh, one of the things we're doing with, um, we're measuring singers with large voices. Uh, we're measuring their chest sizes. Where we've noticed that one of the things that, uh, that is consistent is that there's, their chest size is bigger. Um, and it's a combination of either length, width, or roundness. 
So a person, uh, you know, in other words, it, or any combination of those. So, um, and that's why you can have someone who looks like they're relatively thin, but they've got a lot of sound. But if you notice that uh, that uh, when they sit, they're taller than anybody else. <laughs> you know, because, because they're long from here to here. And some people have round chests, barrel chests, and some people have wide chests. They're wide at the back, and uh, sometimes people are diamond shaped. But what we're discovering is that the chest size is bigger. That the, the thoracic cavity is bigger. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, another thing that we've noticed is that dramatic voices, and there's always exceptions, tend to have wide cheekbones. But mm -hmm. that's not. But that's not a hard, fast mm -hmm. rule. At the time Zajic arrived on the scene, in the mid-1980s, the Verdi dramatic mezzo-repertory was in desperate need of a voice like hers. Shirley Verrett, Fiorenza Cossotto and Grace Bumbry were pulling away from the stage, and among the younger generation there were few contenders in sight. Zajic was a force to be reckoned with from the start, and it was highly unusual to hear a young voice of such size and electricity.
Acerba Voluta from Shelia's Adriana Lecouvreur, as sung by Delora Zajic. And that studio performance, taken from Zajic's album The Art of the Dramatic Mezzo-Soprano, also featured conductor Charles Rosecrans and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Delora Zajic was born on the 24th of March 1952 in Salem, Oregon, into a family of Czech descent, the first of five brothers and sisters. At the age of 12, the family moved from Oregon to Nevada, eventually ending up in the South Lake Tahoe district. Money was scarce, and Zajic had to work as a bus girl to put herself through school. As a 22-year-old pre-medical student at the University of Nevada, Zajic started studying voice as an elective. She was invited to sing alto in the Opera Nevada Chorus, but as she would later recall, she had no high notes, no low notes, and no coloratura. My voice then was ugly and loud, she once remarked. Here is an extract, the first of a few that we'll be listening to in this program, taken from an interview with Delora Zajic, conducted by Julia Turgovitskaya from Aikadenza. I believe you started studying singing when you were 21 and you made your... your 22. Oh, was it 22? And that yeah. same year you, you made you sang your first role? Yes. Incredible. What was your first role? Kate in the Pirates of Penzance. And uh, at that time, I didn't have any high notes. And the lady who was singing, Edith, didn't have any low notes. So I sang her low notes and she sang my high notes. That's too funny. And the director liked it so much that he left it in. Uh, she would say, let us shut our eyes and leave them there together. That's, that's what I would do. And she goes, go, let us shut our eyes and talk about the weather. That's too funny. <laughs> and, that's, and the director liked it so much that he left it in. So, uh, but then, you know, after a year I had high notes and she had low notes. So it was all a moot point after that. Isn't that the best? Take, take one singer's best notes, the other singer's best notes, so you get the perfect combination. Sajik soon realized that a career in medicine was not for her, and she enrolled in the music program instead, because, as she would later state, I would rather be in rehearsal than memorizing nerves and bones and the intricacies of biochemistry. You originally trained to be pre-med, and, and that's what you studied in, in university. How did you make the transition to opera? Well, actually, um, it's not that unusual. Um, it's, very, it's very common to find uh, people going from medicine to music and from music to medicine, especially singing. Uh, there seems to be some common abilities and skills that go along with being a good diagnostician, which I call kinesthetic empathy. It's the ability to imagine what the other person is feeling and to have that kind of kinesthetic empathy where you can sense what the other person's feeling physically is a very important part of being a singer or a, or a, or a good doctor that diagnoses things. And then he compares that with what he knows is the knowledge that he has, uh, because sometimes you can get patients that are that are not very articulate, and uh, so a doctor needs to have these kinds of skills to detect what's really going on with a patient. It's really fascinating. So, what was your story? How did you get into opera? Well, um, I wanted to be an instrumentalist, but circumstances didn't allow it when I was a child, and uh, so I put my sights on being a doctor and then I discovered that I had a voice and found out that it wasn't too late to be in music and that's how I ended that's how I really ended up in music. 
Zajik built her vocal technique painstakingly and analytically. She credits much of her vocal development to Ted Puffer, a member of the teaching faculty of the University of Nevada and also head of Opera Nevada. Puffer not only taught Zajik about technique, he understood her unique voice and urged her to leave Reno to further her career. And so she did, packing her suitcases and setting off for the bright lights of New York City in 1982. But even in New York, no one seemed to know what to do with her. She was not accepted for studies at Juilliard and also did not qualify for the Metropolitan Opera's Young Artist Development Program. Fortunately, as fate would have it, she was eventually accepted at the Manhattan School of Music, where she discovered new mentors, Helen Vani, with whom she studied voice, and Lou Galtiero, the stage director. Let's talk about your voice, which is absolutely incredible, and it has been <clears throat> touted as, as a force of nature by Marilyn Horne, and so many people have commented on, on its sheer size, as well as its agility throughout your range. It's absolutely incredible. Um, what, how, what is your personal approach to technique? Well, that's a complicated question, <laughs> because actually singing is quite simple, but it's a very complex process to discover those simple things that you need to do to sing. And uh, singers often develop these very complex, convoluted things that they think is making them sound good, and it's not. And usually singing is, is very, it's very simple. But it, it takes the average singer five to ten years to discover what those simple things are. And then when they discover it, they go, is that all it is? <laughs> They're shocked that that's all it is. But they had to go through that complex process to coordinate and find out exactly what that specific simple thing was here and what that simple thing was here. That requires knowledge, and it takes time to learn that. Times were rough, and for a period of more than a year, Zajik often slept on benches in the school lounge and even in Central Park, which she says is not as unsafe as it sounds if you keep your feelers out. Some friends later took her in, and she did housework in exchange for lodging. To earn extra cash, she painted eggs for holiday decorations, and even set up a stand outside Macy's, where she was regularly chased away by the police. In 1982, Zajik received an opportunity to participate in the 7th International Tchaikovsky Competition in Moscow. Unable to pay for the trip, she mentioned her predicament to the chorus director of her church, the First Presbyterian Church of New York. The next Sunday, the choir members raised the needed funds as a collection from the congregation. Zajik would go on to win a bronze medal, the only non-Soviet winner and the first American in 12 years to place in the competition.
Divinité di Strix from Gluck's Alceste. Dolores Ajic, of course, the singer, and Charles Rusekrans conducting the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra in that recording from 2000. Upon graduating from the Manhattan School of Music, Zajic received an offer to join the Merola Young Artist Program at the San Francisco Opera, one of the United States' most prestigious young singer training programs. She gladly accepted and took a transcontinental bus trip paid for with money borrowed from her father. Zajic would later reflect that one of the proudest moments in her life was when she was able to pay her father back the money that he had loaned her. After three years of intensive training at Merola, Zajic emerged onto the scene in May 1986 in Il Trovatore, revived especially for her with a cast that included Gena Dimitrova and Franco Bonisoli. In the words of Terence McEwen, the general director of the San Francisco Opera, Zajic walked off with the show. She was just past 30. Following her success in San Francisco, Zajic's career skyrocketed, and three years later, by the time the 1988-89 season came around, she had already made her debut at the Metropolitan Opera in New York and in Chicago, Vienna, Paris, London, Rome and Verona. Zajic's repertoire is predominantly centered around the three big Verdi mezzo roles, Azucena in Il Trovatore, Amneris in Aida, and Eboli in Don Carlo. Opening this program, we heard Zajic singing Eboli's aria O Don Fatale, and we'll be returning to Eboli at the end of the program. But for now, I'd like to focus on Zajic's interpretation of the roles of Azucena and Amneris in a bit more detail. Zajic has often been referred to as the ideal Azucena. On the occasion of her Met debut, Will Crutchfield wrote in the New York Times, Her assumption of Azucena was distinguished by certain details of craftsmanship that have long been rare in Verdian mezzo parts. She commanded the range of the role easily, from strong chest notes at the bottom to a high C, which is usually left out, but which Miss Zajic hit squarely with no apparent effort. Of her Azucena, a critic of Opera News once wrote that Zajic's mezzo really is a proverbial iron fist in a velvet glove. Her delicately spun legato in I Nostri Monti, all the more impressive after her hair-raising Act Three curse and the thunderous chest register she employed in Malregendo. Her characterization of the bedeviled gypsy was a pointed reminder of Zajic's largely unchallenged position as the Verdi mezzo of the day. Here now is Condotta Alera in Cepi from Act 2 of Verdi's Il Trovatore. Thank you. 
Amneris in Verdi's Aida is considered by many to be Zajek's greatest role, and it has been said that her voice can raise whole temple complexes. Of her singing in the famous 1989 telecast performance of Aida from the Metropolitan Opera, Donald Henehan of the New York Times wrote, Perhaps the most deserved triumph came to Delora Zajek, her voice tastefully controlled, yet capable of house-filling outbursts when necessary, was firm and focused. I'm here with our Amneris, the great Delora Sajic. Hello, Delora. Hello, Renee. <laughs> you sang your first Met performances of Amneris 20 years ago and have sung almost 70 performances. What keeps you coming back to this role? Well, one thing, it's right for me. 
<laughs> That's a good reason, That's I think. That's important. It's a good fit. Yeah. yeah. And it's right for you in, in terms of range and, and drama? Everything. There's, it's a wonderful role. There's many aspects to Omniris. Although I've sung her more than 250 times, so I have to reach to find new levels for her. Oh, my goodness. I can't. Are there still aspects of the character you're exploring or always. vocal aspects? Always. Always. I think... Whenever I do uh, a role, no matter how many times I've done it, I always do it as if I'm doing it for the first time. Well, people say Verity was inspired by lower voices, mezzos and baritones, and the complex characters are not in Verity the Sopranos and tenors as they are, say, with Strauss. So do you agree with that? No. Ah. I don't agree with that. I think that Verity wrote some marvelous roles for tenors and sopranos. Um, but, you know, every opera has their own strengths and weaknesses in terms of how much he invested inside a, a role. Um, of course, all roles were important to Verdi. But what's important is each person does the role that is right for them and the one that they can identify with and connect with and bring something special to. Well, that's true. And that extract from an interview with Dolores Zajic was conducted by Renee Fleming and recorded as part of the Metropolitan Opera's live in HD broadcast of Verdi Zaida, recorded in 2009. Next up, I'd like to play you Zajic's electrifying performance of Amneris's Judgment Scene from Act 4 from the 1989 Metropolitan Opera telecast of Aida.
In addition to these three core roles, Azucena, Amneris, and Eboli, Zajik's repertory encompasses roles in Russian opera, Marfa in Mussorgsky's Kovanchina and Tchaikovsky's Maid of Orleans. Verisma roles, the princess in Adriana Le Couvreur, for example, as well as roles in French opera, Dalila in Saint-Saëns' Sanson et Dalila and Massenet's Herodiade. Zajek is, however, very specific about the roles which appeal to her and those that she feels are not suited either to her voice or temperament. The role of Carmen, for example, has apparently never appealed to Zajek, and she once famously stated, I'm an actress, not a dancer. She has apparently frequently been offered roles in operas by Strauss and Wagner, though she is not, as she puts it, German-orientated, and feels that a different technique is required to sing these roles, with the exception of the music of Mahler and the role of Ortrud in Lohengrin, a role which she feels suits her very well. And though Zajik believes very strongly that the bel canto repertory is great for the voice, only the roles of Adalgisa in Norma, Giovanna Seymour in Anna Bolena, and Leonora in La Favorita seem to hold any interest for her. As for the comic roles of Rossini, Zajik believes them to be unsuited to her temperament. She has also expressed an interest in the Hindle repertory, which she believes keeps the voice in shape. According to some commentators, she has even been known to vocalize a Hindle aria or two in between acts of Aida. Next, I'd like to play you two arias from operas that are less frequently associated with Zajik. The first is a recording of Omiu Fernando in its original French version, taken from a live performance of Donizetti's La Favorita.
Now for Mira o Norma from Bellini's Norma. Singing alongside Zajic is Ana Maria Sanchez. Again, this clip is from a live performance of the opera recorded in 2003.
account, Zajic prefers in her work and her life to operate on an intellectual level and every role that she tackles is dissected, analyzed and diagnosed. I'm a stylist, she once noted. I won't sing a part unless I've got the style down. According to reports, for each act of an opera, Zajic prepares a workbook containing in parallel the complete text, phrase by phrase with repetitions, a verbatim translation and a phonetic transcription in the symbols of the international phonetic alphabet. So you're obviously so scientifically minded in terms of your approach to the world, really, as well as, as singing. How do you bridge that with the artistic side and the emotional side? That's a big component also. Well, if you're expressive, the emotion takes care of itself. It's a whole different thing to be expressive. The science has to do with the technique, the technical aspects of what you're doing. And then that's just the shell. And then you inhabit that with your soul and with, with what you have to say as a person. You know, it's, it's the, the technique is only the first step and then you have to inhabit what you do. 
How do you keep yourself from going too far emotionally so that your technique actually is unable to do what you, you know you want it to do? It practice, you know, just experience. It teaches you where that line is. It teaches you. So when you feel like you're reaching it, do you literally take a step back? How do you stop yourself? Well, you know, when you're performing, things become routined. So you don't have to think about those things, and you just go out and you express. Because it, it, you, when you habituate things, then you don't have to think about them, and then you're just expressing, you're just doing the role. <clears throat> you're being the character. Zajik has also dismantled her voice from top to bottom, studying in detail the physiological means by which she sings. Many in the industry regard her as somewhat of a technique freak. And what is your approach to resonance? Does, is that something that you think about? Well, I don't think about resonance. I listen for it. Mm-hmm. Um, resonant, one of the mistaken things about resonance is people... There's only one thing that really, really moves a lot when you sing, and that's your tongue. Your soft palate moves a little bit. And if you move your lips and your jaw, they get in the way. So basically, the tongue has to do all the work. So um, there's a great article that was uh, put out by Scientific American where they studied the Tuvan Mongolian throat singers. How could they sing two pitches at the same time and get two and sometimes two and three overtones on one pitch? And uh, it was very simple. They used their tongues. And, uh, and they had two um, techniques. If they, did, if they used their false vocal folds, they would move the tongue back and forth, front, front to back, front to back. And if they used their normal vocal folds, they would use the middle of the tongue and go up and down and, use, and manipulate the sides of the mouth and manipulate that space between the midpoint of the tongue, the frontal midpoint, uh, and the hard palate. Wow. That's all, you, that's all you move. That's what can, you have to have an airflow a sufficient airflow. You really have to have a, a sufficient airflow, and then you control it with your tongue. And it's very simple. I mean, like I say, it's a very complex process. Right. You discover <laughs> that's all resonance is, because everything else is just a sounding board. It's just a, a you know, a, you know, you have your resonators, which are, are just like a sound box, but they don't do anything. So, I mean, I can demonstrate uh, focus. So if you go, that's all done with a tone. Wow. It's that simple. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And so when you sing, you're singing with that resonance. You're singing with the the, the most resonances you can get. That's amazing. I think just watching you sing, watching you perform, which we did just two days ago um, in Lohengrin, you know, just the sheer amount of resonance that you are able to produce is just astounding. It's, it, it produces a visceral experience for, for us audience members. It's really incredible. What are you feeling? That's something I cultivated. Really? Yeah. I just listen to it and make sure it's buzzing in my ear. Do you feel the buzz in your ear? Yeah. Do you feel it somewhere in? The I feel it nasal? in my ear. I feel my my actually my eardrums vibrate, which is, it's a, it's a, it's not a hearing thing. Yes, it picks up sounds and you pick and you hear it, but there's an actual physical field when when the when the eardrum is vibrating. I can demonstrate that to you too. Sure. So so if I go, and just don't listen, just feel what your eardrums are doing. Mm-hmm. Hear that? Feel that vibration. Yeah, yeah. 
you, you, you go for that. It's almost in the upper part of the ear that you feel it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 it's an extra thing from your hearing. It's, 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 a, it's an extra vibration on the eardrum. And that means that it, that means that, that, that there's a lot of overtones that are, that are, that are resonating. So you te you know, I, I, when I work with singers, I, I teach them to, to, to learn how to sense that. The greatest artists are sublimators, Zajik once declared, and technically orientated. When you're connected technically, you empty out all the energy that is in you, that is you. All the anguish, the joy, everything. That's what people pay to see. But so yes. what is your approach to the role? Obviously, uh, the, you know, from, from what I know about you, that's very different from the way you are personally. So how do you in, embody a character like that? Well, I think everybody has a seed of everything in them, everything good and bad. There's a seed of that in everybody. And I think a good artist latches onto that and enlarges on that and imagines what if, what if, you know, I was in this position and I made this decision, how would I deal with it? And I think that... Um, the more honest you are about who you are, the more you can portray different characters. I think that uh, if people have a false perception of themselves, it makes it more difficult to delve into these characters. And then, and then, and then, if you do a character, it's it's there's a very surface approach to it that doesn't really read as real, reads as artificial. I mean, even if you're evil, you have to be real.
Dolores Ajik singing La Luce Langue from Verdi's Macbeth. The Royal Philharmonic Orchestra was conducted by Charles Rosekrantz in this recording from 2000. Two major criticisms have been levelled against Zajik during her career. The first has been her generous use of chest register, which some commentators, especially early in her career, claim would eventually ruin her voice. But the fact that Zajik has been singing for more than 40 years in the way that she has, has proven many of her earliest attractors wrong, and she ascribes her long career to what she calls a very good and solid vocal technique. The second, often cited criticism, has been Zajik's apparent lack of acting ability. But as she points out, a singer is so often at the mercy of stage directors. Do you know how many productions I've been in where the most important thing you do is usurped by the decor? Zajik once stated. An Aida in which at every important reaction the lights would switch or a column would open? Um, looking back on your career, you have encountered some criticism of your voice, specifically people, the naysayers earlier on saying that, you know, you won't be able to continue this kind of singing um, for many years because you're, you know, you're, you're singing too loudly and things like that. What role has criticism played in your life, if any? Well, I've been ruining my voice for 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't, think I have to be concerned about what people say. I mean, there are still people that tell me, oh, if you use your chest voice like that, you're going to lose your voice. I can't believe that some people actually still tell me that, <laughs> but they do. <laughs> so has, have you, have you had any experiences with that or any other comment or any other criticism throughout your life? Have you had to overcome anything like that? The two major criticisms that get hurled most, that got hurled most at me at the beginning of my career was I was going to ruin my voice wasn't going to last. And then the criticisms later was that um, I wasn't an actress. I was just a park and bark singer, which I think oh, I proved no. them. <laughs> I, I think I proved them wrong on that count too. But sometimes people bring up the old things and dredge up the old things, but that's okay because it doesn't matter with YouTube and everything. I, I mean, there's, there's a whole pirates, videos it, during the information age it's a little harder as we know from wikileaks it, it's a little harder to control information now so i think that from a historical point of view we aren't going to have the saints that we used to because nobody can people can't hide their uh, flaws like they used to on the other hand there's a lot of um fact that i think is going to come out in a historical sense that i think we don't we never had the opportunity to have before. So I think that, you know, even though there's no privacy, which I think is really dreadful, um, on the other hand, it's like nobody can control the information flow, and that's got its problems and positive points too. And I think that in the terms of the historical perspective, I think that I... I will stand in the historical flow of things as somebody who made a contribution. And, you know, people will make their own judgments. Of her Washington National Opera debut in the role of Santuzza in Mascagni's Cavalleria Rusticana, the critic of the Washington Post wrote, Her performance as Santuzza was the best singing that I have heard, not only in Washington, but anywhere, in a long, long time. 
The basic equation of the afternoon was Zajik on stage equals riveting opera. Opera minus Zajik equals something considerably less riveting. Here then is Zajik singing Voilo Sapete from Cavalleria Rusticana in this recording dating from 2000 and taken off her album The Art of the Dramatic Mezzo-Soprano. Charles Rusikrans conducts the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra.
Today's opera world does not seem to emphasize the single-minded focus and dedication that has been the cornerstone of Zajik's career. Determination, study and hard work. These are, according to Zajik, the tools of her craft. Singers jump into productions with relatively little rehearsal, cultivate huge repertoires and constantly seek more and greater exposure. During her career, Zajik has followed a different, what some would call an old-school path, finding a repertoire that fits her voice and temperament and exploring that repertoire thoroughly, expanding it gradually, focusing on her voice and her roles more than her fame. And it may be that for this very reason, she has not always received the same amount of renown or fanfare enjoyed by some other singers. I never really sang anything that was totally inappropriate for me, Zajik once stated. One case where this is certainly true is in the case of Lady Macbeth from Verdi's opera Macbeth. Traditionally sung by dramatic sopranos, the role's high notes, treacherous tessitura and vocal hurdles seem to hold little challenge for Zajik. Earlier in the program, we heard Zajik's recording of Lady Macbeth's aria La Luce Langue. Next, I'd like to play you Zajek's rendition of Lady Macbeth's sleepwalking scene, Una Machia Equitutora. Charles Rusekrans conducts the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra.
Another example where Zajik pushes the envelope slightly is in the role of Delilah, which is in essence a contralto part, and which according to Zajik lies real low for me. Here is the well-known Mon Coeur s'ouvre à tes voix from Saint Sans's Sanson et Delilah. Charles Rusekrantz again conducts the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra in this recording from 2000.
In addition to a carefully selected repertoire, Zajic ensures sufficient periods of rest between performances and engagements. My colleagues think that they can do more than they can, she notes. When they get lots of job offers, they do a lot of the back-to-back thing. It really rakes in the money and creates a high profile, but they often burn out sooner. They get vocally tired and start compensating incorrectly. That gets them into trouble. In between engagements, Zajik returns for at least three months a year to her home in Nevada, where she unwinds by satisfying her natural curiosity by reading poetry, psychology, anthropology, history, and natural sciences. In addition to her performing career, Zajik created the Institute for Young Dramatic Voices in 2006 in an effort to address the lack of training for large dramatic voices required for the great roles of the Verdi, Strauss and Wagner repertoire. The goal of the Institute is to rectify this situation by finding, developing and inspiring the next generation of these unique talents so that they may reach the world's great opera stages. Speaking of differences in how to approach young singers and how to train them and support them through the process of developing their voices, you have a wonderful Institute for Dramatic and Unusual Voices where you work with very young singers, actually, helping them develop what you believe is already clear, that that they have these unusual and, and powerful voices. Can you talk about your institute and the work that you're doing there? Well, we go on a search for these voices. We want to get them when they're very young, if possible. We do have some older singers that we take at later stages, but the majority we take when they're very young um, and start to get them on the right track. Uh, one One of the problems that you have is that singers used to get regular training every day. Um, and they start, girls could start as young as 12, uh, young men started as young as 15, and they made their debuts 10 years earlier. Well, something changed between now and then. One of the things that changed was that instruments got louder and they were designed to make more sound and theaters got bigger. So now if a singer wants to sing that more dramatic rep that has a lot of, bra- especially uh, music that has a lot of brass in it, Um, They have to wait until they physically mature to a certain point. The problem with that is that by the time they get to that age, they don't have the experience that their more lyric counterparts have. And then by the time they turn 35, they're saying, well, they got a voice, but where's the rest of it? We can't use them. And so we're trying to solve that problem. They get get acting. We teach them um, how to learn a role. We, uh, and we, we, show them that they can sing this rep, but they need to sing it in the right venue. They can't sing it with a large orchestra. They need to sing it in, a, in, a, in a, an acoustically friendly house with a sympathetic conductor, and uh, they can do it with piano. I mean, there are many ven- there, there are ways to do it, to get that experience. Uh, and so what we do is we help fill that gap where they don't get that experience at that age so that by the time they're ready to emerge um, on an international level, they have these skills already in place. Star though she is, Zajik views opera as a very strange world, almost a madhouse. Artists tend to have affective disorders, she once stated, which is why they have more to put out. The field is full of people who need to be the center of attention. The opera world is full of egomaniacs. I've seen some real Lulus. 
you should read Kay Redfield Jameson's book, Touched with Fire, Manic Depressive Illness and the Autistic Temperament, she once said to an interviewer, it's all in there. To put your stock in being famous, Sajik also noted, so that everybody knows who you are and all that, I think, can be misleading. The bottom line, really, is how the audience responds. For me, that's the real payoff. I am somewhat of an anomaly, she continues. I'm driven more by intrinsic things than many of my colleagues are. Some of my colleagues say that they love to go on stage, but I see them sweating. You can't fool the audience. Personally, I find the most rewarding experience is often a zitzprobe, when you can really enjoy what you're doing. I enjoy music for the music itself. Well, that brings us to the end of another Great Interpreters. I will be back on air here on Fine Music Radio in two weeks' time with a program on the Greek soprano many hoped would have been the successor to Maria Callas, the brilliant but short-lived Elena Suliotis. Please join me on January 17th at 8pm here on Fine Music Radio for a fascinating program on this remarkable artist. A reminder too that you can visit my website on and off the record to listen to or download for future listening more of these programs. www.onandofftherecord.com You can also contact me with any questions, queries or feedback on adrian at onandofftherecord.com or by sending me a message on Facebook or on Twitter. The last extract that I'd like to play to you is a recording of Zajik singing the Canzone del Velo or Nel Giardin del Bello from Verdi's Don Carlo. James Levine conducts the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra in this 1992 recording. From me, Adrian Fuchs, have a wonderful weekend, a fantastic 2014 and happy listening. Till next time.